Hello and welcome to the Scuttlebutt Podcast. A little plot twist today. Uh, I will be the main host. Uh, I'm Tim, and our very special guest is the usually the host, Brock Briggs. Uh, Brock, welcome to your own show. Well, thank you so much. I've literally <laughs> never been more excited to be here than yeah. uh, than today. <laughs> Uh, yeah, this will be good, man. We'll get, give the listeners an opportunity to kind of jump in and figure out more about you since you're the one who's usually asking all the questions. Now, now it's my turn and we get to find out about you because I think that there's some, there's some good stuff to be able to, to unpack here. So I'm excited about it. Uh, obviously I, I, I know you probably arguably better than anyone. If, if Aubrey's listening to this, your fiance, I'm right. Um, and uh, so yeah, let's let's just jump right into it. Uh, give us the uh, give us the backstory on the military and why you joined, and let's start there. Yeah. Um, okay. So it, it, this feels so weird already being on the other side of this. It's like <laughs> this is the hard job, uh, right, not right. not really the hosting. Um, yeah. So I had like kind of military influences like very early on. Um, there's something about so many people in my family like have served. My dad was in the Navy, uncles in the army, uh, multiple aunts and uncles have all served. So that was like a pretty common uh, career path for people in my family. Um, so that, and my dad was constantly telling me about how great the Navy was and he got to see the world and do all these things. And so that was like such a bug in my ear from very, very early on. Um, high school, I was interested in it, uh, certainly. And coming up into graduation, I actually had applied for an ROTC scholarship because I was like, okay, like I want to do the Navy. Um, all of my friends were like talking about college and something just didn't seem right about college to me. I was just like, eh, I don't, what am I going to do there? Like learn more. <laughs> uh, turns out you, <laughs> right, you right. do do more learning in college. Um, and that was very like prescient because I, as we'll see here in a few minutes, like didn't do that well in college, but um, yeah, I, it didn't really sit right with me. I was like, I'm going to go join the Navy, not do what everybody else is doing, but I, I want to be an officer. I, I knew that kind of from right off the bat. And so I applied for the ROTC scholarship um, and it kind of actually a weird, funny story. Uh, not very many people have heard this, but I actually got accepted. Um, I got a really? letter in the mail. Yeah. Um, wow. well, there's, there's a, a funny twist here. So I get the letter in the mail and when you apply for an ROTC scholarship, you select the schools that you'd like to go to. So, um, living in Boise, I was like, I want to go to University of Idaho, um, put a couple other universities in Washington and other places in the Pacific Northwest. Um, so I get the letter in the mail and it's like, congrats, uh, you've been accepted, blah, blah, blah. Um, here are your college choices. And in the college choices, it was all colleges that I didn't put. It was hmm. like University of Alabama, um, like a bunch of like Southern schools, um, Alabama, Tennessee. And I was just like, this is super weird, but like maybe none of the schools that I selected were available. Um, didn't really understand, took the letter down to the recruiter because I had kind of been in contact with the recruiter already. Sure. And, um, they like started looking into it and it turns out like it was a different Brock Briggs that had gotten accepted. And it was somebody <laughs> that had like, dude, I was crushed. 
I literally, oh my was, gosh. I was so mad. And I was like, how the, how the hell does this even happen? Like literally every, it was literally Brock H Briggs. Wow. Um, I, I just couldn't even believe the unlikelihood of that. Yeah. 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 Well, Brock is such a unique name. I, that's right. Crazy. Like literally same first middle initial last name. Like, yeah. I don't know. Hopefully that Brock Briggs is listening. Cause I'm, I'm upset with you. <laughs> <laughs> we have a bone to pick with you, Brock H Briggs. <laughs> right. Um, so yeah, that put, I was, that was like a, a really bad taste in my mouth and, um, I got really upset about it and I was like, you know, I don't need the military. I'll just go kind of the more traditional route. Um, didn't really have the money to go to like an out-of-state school or even something there um, like local, the traditional college experience. And so I um, just applied to, to the local University of Boise State, uh, was living at home. Um, kind of some early turmoil at my household led me to like leaving home pretty early and um, started living with some friends and just did a semester or two, I think maybe, um, at Boise State. And uh, my grades definitely like really reflected uh, how non-invested I was in it. Um, not really showing up to class a lot. Didn't just didn't really care. And I part of that may have been like not living on campus. You know, I yeah. was kind of having like my own friends and was very disconnected from you know you know some universities actually require first years to stay on campus, and I think it's for this reason. Yeah, uh, yeah, they want to get you plugged in around other people that are studying. And I just like didn't. And that's not an excuse. I just didn't yeah. do well. Um, Did you do well in high school? I mean, I assume so. Like if if you got accepted to BSU and, and stuff like that, like I'm just thinking back for myself, like there's no way in hell I would have gotten accepted into BSU with my high school grades. Did you do well in high school? Uh, I mean, they they accept literally dogs to BSU. So oh, beautiful. Uh, no, I think that the, the entry requirements were like super low. I, okay. It may have been like a 2.5 GPA or something. So I was like maybe an average student, I guess. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah. You I did your to, homework and you passed tests. Yeah I, yeah. I wasn't like failing out of anything, but I also wasn't on like the super fast track. It was kind of tough because I, um, it was hard to gauge really where I was because I actually started school very like a year early. So I was really, really young compared to everybody in my class. And I also went to a private school my entire yeah. life. And so my class of 56 people, like there were, uh, the school was really expensive and my parents busted their backs to like put us into this like nice school and everybody in there was super smart. Uh, or at least every most people in my grade. So I was like average, really. Yeah, yeah. Um, gotcha. I bet in yeah. like a public school, you would have you would have been top of the class, maybe. Maybe 10. maybe slightly more average, yeah, uh, yeah. better than average. But yeah, yeah, I don't know, three three point oh, okay, low yeah. threes maybe GPA. Sure. Um. So yeah, get into college, and um, I'm like kind of running with my own crowd do like a semester or two and it just like wasn't good um sure wasn't doing well 
was like, ah, this isn't, maybe I'll like, everybody talks about like your gap year or like take a year off to just like figure out like that's such bullshit. Like oh, yeah. <laughs> you're, you're never coming back, you know? Um, but that's like what everybody talks about. They're like, oh, I'm going to sure. take a year off to do this. Like, uh, no, you're not. Um, so at that time, uh, like I said, I kind of due to some other circumstances, I uh, was no longer at home, um, was living with, a friend of mine who had a job, him and his girlfriend had a job and I didn't. And they were like, well, you can come live with us and, and we'll help you get on your feet. And so moved in with them. And uh, the guy ended up getting me a job at um, a call center down the road. It was like, mm-hmm. and at this point I was, I was just in a bad shape. Like I sure. dropped out of college, had no money, uh, like nothing to my name, no car, um, it just like, wasn't, wasn't really a good picture. And these two friends of mine were kind of like now paying for my way and like covering my rent. And, um, yeah, looking back, I haven't really thought about this for a while, but that was kind of a a dark spot. Um, that's for sure. (laughs) Um, but I got, uh, the guy ended up getting me a job at the, the call center down the road, which, um, looking back that, I don't know. There's so many call centers in Boise. There's so, so many, and they all pay like way above minimum wage. So when you could start there at like nine bucks an hour, that was better than like seven twenty-five at sure. McDonald's or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So really felt like I was something and, and immediately got embraced. Um, and just like, it's, it's a young person's culture. Um, there yeah. it's, it's a young partying lifestyle. There's a lot of like older tenured people that work there who have maybe worked there for 20 years. But for the most part, it's like 18 to 25 year old kids that are just like partying and having a good time and like making good money or good money for that age and no experience in, yeah. in the process. So um, that it, it was a good thing and a bad thing. Uh, hindsight, it was a bad thing because I didn't realize how, like, I was super impressionable and like you kind of are yeah, at that age. You of don't course. Really, <laughs> yeah. You don't, you'll take on like whatever yeah. you're thrown into. And well, um, you're just trying to figure, figure it out. So it's like, wherever you, you end up, sometimes you're like, yeah, this is it. Like I found, I found my calling. Right. Well, and it was especially more interesting too, because growing up in a Christian household, we went to church every Sunday. Like I said, I was in a private school and then all of a sudden I move in with these two people who were, um, they had tattoos and piercings and, um, I don't know, just kind of like counterculture type of people and were, um, one of them worked at the call center and the other one worked at, um, a restaurant and they're just kind of like making it in their young adult lives, which was really funny because in high school, all my friend group in high school was friends with these people who they didn't go to the same school and everybody looked up to them kind of because they, they were like making it as adults, you know, they, they didn't do the college thing. They were kind of like throwing up the middle finger to, to college and all of that. So they were idolized a little bit for like sure. having this perception of making it. But 
So being kind of like in a sheltered home relatively, and then being thrown into that, I was like, oh man, this is cool. Like drinking. And like, I went and got my first tattoo at 17 and I was like, man, I'm a badass and like yeah, yeah, <laughs> all of yeah. this stuff. Um, but yeah, it, it was, it was fun. You know, what, yeah. what isn't there to like, it's living with right. your friends and just hanging out all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, at the call center, I actually did like relatively well. Yeah. I spent a year there as just like taking regular phone calls, made a bunch of friends, quickly kind of made a name for myself in um, the building. Somebody that just was very mouthy, uh, not really accepted by much of the management, um, but like was good at my job. And so whatever, I um, promoted quickly about a year. I uh, became a supervisor there and ended up spending like another three years there. as a, as a supervisor, which was good. This is the the hindsight talking. I didn't realize any of this at the time, but in hindsight, I learned so much about like people, how to lead a team. Um, I, at 19 years old, had a guy on my team that had a master's in computer science that was like in his forties on my team. Wow. Yeah. And then everything ranging from that to like, other 18 year old kids who like had never had a job. And so quickly learned like how to, to build a cohesive team. And I really, really enjoyed the people aspect of that. Um, Learned customer service and all, all of the things that roll into, into that. But I really liked the team element of that. Um, Kind of all the meanwhile, the entire time was kind of a steady march downhill in terms of like habits. Yeah. Um, really not good financial management was like, like most people you're living paycheck to paycheck. Um, you're, and the thing is, is you're making really good money for that age, you know, yeah. you're, yeah, you're yeah. splitting an apartment with three people, <laughs> but you're making 1200 bucks every two weeks. And, you know, that's plenty of money for booze and whatever. And, um, sadly kind of just like march down the wrong pathway, um, in terms of like drugs and, and alcohol and, um, yeah, uh, kind yeah. Of just develop some not good habits. I'm like thinking about <clears throat> like at that age, me working at, at Best Buy and that's like $1,200 every two weeks. That's more than, than we were making in boot camp. Like that's like oh, half, yeah. that's like half of. That's like two times as much as double the amount of money you, you make, like when you first join as an E1. Uh, oh, yeah. Like that, that thinking back, that is a lot of money for an 18, 19 year old kid. Right. And at the time, like back then, I'm assuming apartments were cheap. They're expensive now here in, in Boise. But um, back then, I mean, what were you paying? A couple hundred bucks? I think that my portion of the rent was, it must have been two, maybe 300. Yeah. (laughs) Like, I mean, you can't get an apartment for that cheap in Boise anymore. No. But yeah, as like a percentage of income. uh, Yeah. I have like no idea where the rest of the money went. Um, Well, booze and drugs and being the cool, being the cool guy who's making a lot of money at that age. Uh, Right. Um, Yeah. And I, the, the people element really encouraged that, like, 
there was just this whole dynamic of um for much of the time there i worked like a, the late shift like three to midnight or whatever and there's just this kind of understanding that you were going out afterwards you know mm -hmm. like you, what bar are we going to when we get off work or what kind of weird like all you just kind of like the birds of a feather kind of come together you know it's sure um, and uh that's empowering to have that it kind of makes you feel like you're invincible in a way you got your crew and you're like, Oh, I'm, we talked about this in your interview. I've got the best friends that I've ever, I've ever, ever had. had. And these people would take a bullet for me and yeah, <laughs> they, they fucking wouldn't at all. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's like that, that facade of like what I thought were good friends. I kind of, it blinded me to going down the rabbit hole of like, spending a lot of time with drugs really um and did your parents uh, like obviously you're you're not living with them at this time but did are your parents telling you anything like are they vocal about like the path that you're going down do they not really know um they one they didn't really know and two i just like didn't really talk to them that much yeah we like had sort of after leaving home at like a year or two later we kind of had like reconciled a little bit but it wasn't like i don't know we weren't close or anything yeah. they didn't really i lived for the first little bit i lived in an apartment that was like a mile away but then i was kind of doing my own thing you know yeah and yeah, um yeah. we lived in the same town but i just didn't have a lot of reason to one be talking to them or two why would i be telling them about what i was doing <laughs> Sure, sure. Um, so yeah, um, really just kind of went down that hill um, in, in a bad way. And it just, it bums me out to even talk about it because it's, it's embarrassing. And, um, but, it, you know, it is what it is. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, that's that it's that kind of stuff that you either you make it or or you keep going down that that path. And Clearly you, you, I mean, it made you the, the guy you are now and that's a damn good dude. So don't, no reason to be embarrassed about it. You know what I mean? It's part of your path. Yeah. Well, and I, I think that my big takeaway is, or the, the thing that I'm most thankful for, I don't know that I would choose to go down all of that again. Um, but I'm incredibly thankful that I didn't get in trouble. Yeah. Um, because subsequently nothing really happened while I was there, but we'll kind of get to this in a second. But after I left for the Navy, several of my friends ended up going to jail um, for different related activities. And um, I just looking back on that, I was like, man, I, that so easily could have been me. And yeah. if I had stuck around for like <laughs> another couple months or a year or whatever. Um, but yeah, in, so kind of going down that way um i was kind of i was promoting as a supervisor and um getting ready to kind of like being groomed for the next role at the the next level in the call center and um had actually taken over for my boss and was getting like all of this great coverage with like upper management and all this stuff and i was like man this is really the people i've looked up to like this is like what I'm, I'm going for in my life right now is like this next position. And I like, wasn't impressed with it. Yeah. And, uh, it was around that time 
I kind of had a mo- just a brief moment of clarity and kind of like looking at my life situation and the people that I was hanging out with and was like, this is not good. Um, yeah. this, this really isn't a, a good way. Um, and so I went down and talked to the Navy recruiter. Um, this was, uh, probably April of 2014, 14. Yeah. Yeah. That, that early that year, what was funny about that, that first interaction at the recruiter is I just went in and was like, maybe, maybe I want to join. And like, maybe this is a, a good path to, to get away from this. And I went in there thinking that I'd just get some literature and like, see what the deal is on enlisting. And I, he was like, he wanted to do a bunch more stuff other than just like, talk to me. He's like, Oh, let's, let's give you a way in. Let's like kind of start you on the process a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> that dude should have seen right through me right then. Um, he was like, I, he asked me to take off my shoes because he wanted to do a weigh-in and I was wearing weed socks. They like had weed logos, like the Huff <laughs> socks. And I was oh, just like, gosh. shit. I was sitting in the parking lot and I didn't, I didn't even think about it. And um, he was like, oh, do you smoke weed? And the, the last part of like my dad's conversation talking about the Navy like kicked in. One of the things that he told me very early on, he was like, they don't know anything when you join, don't admit to anything, don't own right. up to anything. Like you're, yep. you're scotch-free unless there's like uh, something Proof. in your legal record that yep. says that yep. you did something. So <laughs> they're going to try and break you. Like, don't, don't give them anything. And so I just said, you know, no, I like the brand or <laughs> that dude should have just seen right through that. Uh, right, and he probably right. did, but he's yeah. just doing his job. Um, thank God that he didn't want a drug test right there because I wouldn't have passed. Yeah. Um, I, I really wouldn't have, but yeah. So ended up enlisting, um, or kind of going through the process. I really thought that I wanted to be a hot shot and, um, I really wanted an EOD contract. Uh, also in hindsight, I thought that I was hot shit then, um, kind of physically I had said, Oh, if I'm going to join the guy was like, you need to lose like 25 pounds. Like I was a large, and I mean, just smoking, I'm like eating freaking stale cereal for snacks. Like you're just, yep. you know, you're not eating good. You're not living right. It was um, just part of that culture, I guess. I, uh, I remember you tell me you were a big grilled cheese guy before, before oh, you joined, I mean, I still am. Let's not well, get yeah, that yeah. twisted. <laughs> yeah, I mean, true, true. Uh, yes, I remember. I think you told me this in Pensacola, Florida, that when before you joined, you had uh, spend all day in your bed, and you had an electric griddle next to your bed, and you would make grilled cheese sandwiches and eat grilled cheese sandwiches in now, your bed. I want to just clarify that that was one time. Um, oh, okay, that, all right. That was, was like, like a normal thing. No, it wasn't the normal. Okay, I, okay. I didn't just keep that in there. That would get me disowned from so many people. I just, I, I for so many years, have just imagined fatter, long-haired Brock rolling over, flipping a grilled cheese, rolling back over, like. <laughs> yeah. God. Yeah. It was just bad. You know, it yeah. was like, go get a 3000 calorie, um, you know, Dutch bros coffee on the way into work. And then at lunch, go have an energy drink and go out to eat for fast food, come home, 
just eat, just not eating good, not living right, whatever. Yeah. So when I go to join, he like tells me that. So I'd like, I like run three miles and all of a sudden I think I'm like in this impeccable shape and I'm like, Oh, I want this contract and I'm going to go be a badass and all this stuff. And yeah, turns out I just like, didn't have the physical chops for that. Um, but it, it ended up working out just fine. Took AT just like you, um, and, uh, shipped off to, yeah. uh, to boot camp later that year. Um, which uh, by this point, <laughs> uh, things were kind of like reconciling a little bit better with family. Everybody was super proud. And I think that despite my family, maybe not knowing where my life was at before, um, they maybe had some ideas and like, cause I just, I had a really big chip on my shoulder, super arrogant, um, really just thought I was hot shit king of my friend group and just like thought I could just boss people around. And I don't know, I had, my ego was just the size of a huge balloon. Um, yeah, really. When uh, you, when you made the choice to join, I mean, from the sounds of it, you are, like you said, king shit at the call center. You have all these friends. Um, I'm assuming big house parties all the time you know, you are like kind of the man. What is the thought process? What are people saying when you're like, yo, I got to make changes. Like I'm out of here. You know, what are they, what's, what are their response responses? Uh, it wasn't positive. Uh, I'll just say that. Um, and, and it's very similar to what you were saying, or maybe sort of along the lines of how you described your experience. People were like, kind of like want to act like they're supporting you, but probably don't. Yeah. Um, you know, and instantly, because at that time, as soon as I decided, I was like, I got to stop everything that I'm doing, like consuming, I still drank or whatever, but like I had to stop everything else. And then that instantly estranges you from your, your friend group. You know, if your entire friendships are based on drugs or alcohol and all of a sudden you don't do those guess guess what your friendship isn't that deep anymore yeah and um yeah so there wasn't a ton of like support in that way um i remember telling one of my friends and he was like oh what do you just want to go get ptsd like why would you do that and i was just like oh wow like yeah i, I oh, didn't yeah. really like it kind of upset me at the, the time because I was just like, I wish that he just supported me in hindsight, looking back at that, I'm like, fuck you, dude. Like that's so mm -hmm. messed up to, yeah, to yeah. Even say something like that. Um, but yeah, not, not a ton of support from the, the friendships and, um, it was just different. Nobody really did that type of thing. Um, and you're right. We were throwing massive house parties all the time. And, um, so it was just weird for somebody to like want to leave that. And I, yeah, I just needed something more than, than that. And um, it, it came at great timing, really. Uh, like I said, my family was very supportive of that. And um, they, they knew um, that it, it would be good for my character and personal development, I think in the long term. So I have to assume knowing your dad and, and your dad was in the Navy. I have to assume that when you told him that that's the route that, that you wanted to take, he was thrilled. 
Yeah. 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 I, I don't really remember specifically when I told him, so I can't really say what the exact reaction was, but I, the subsequent years of being in the Navy have told me that he really had liked that. Yeah. Um, and, and the rest of my, my family too. And <clears throat> even talking to some friends and family after getting out or whatever, they're like, you're not even, not even close to the same person. Yeah. Um, and so that's a good thing. I, uh, hindsight, I, that's not the person that I wanted to be. So, um, no, it was a good thing. Um, but yeah, left, uh, left, whatever that was November, 2018, uh, for any listeners, I think we talked about this in your episode, but we were actually two weeks apart, I think in book. Yeah. Yeah. I got there uh, November 9th. And I think, and then you got there like two weeks at end of November. Yeah. The week of Thanksgiving, like yeah, uh, the yeah, 24th or something. Yeah. So we were very close unbeknowingly. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but as fate would have it. <laughs> uh, no, I'm glad that it worked out that way. Uh, boot camp was like a brutal shock. I, yeah. I, I had never, and I think that you and I could probably both have the same mentality going in there is like I didn't really understand like getting in trouble for what somebody else did yeah I was like that's why would yeah, that this be? is weird yeah right yeah. right and and I remember saying something remember the um those little like feedback forms <clears throat> that you would like write about your the the leaders of the division oh was, yeah, yeah yeah yes we did that. And on one of them, I freaking, I stupidly wrote like, this shouldn't be this way. I shouldn't be getting in trouble for whatever, just like oh, some really no. ignorant shit. And of course they read it in front of everybody. It doesn't have my name. And I'm like, Oh man, who the fuck would say something like yeah, that? Yeah. You, you're ignorant. Like, yeah. Um, way to go dumbass. But I literally, and they just destroyed the comment, you know? And, um, by the end of boot camp, I understood and I like went to him and I said, Hey, that was me. I get it now. Um, and so there was kind of like that cathartic moment or whatever. And, um, but yeah, that, that was a rude awakening for me, uh, mentally, physically, you know, like I said, we both thought we were hot shit. You get to boot camp and just get freaking roasted by doing arm circles for 20 minutes like somehow that just yeah, kills oh yeah. you yep yep uh, i uh mckenna my three-year-old wanted me to teach her how to do jumping jacks the other day and i about had a, a flashback to doing jumping jacks <laughs> those heavy ass boots on for 45 minutes yeah right. anyway your feet are just like slamming into the boots with like your blisters <laughs> and you're like oh, yeah. man this feels great yeah. uh i actually did have a weird flashback to, I went to a hit class recently and they were, were doing like jumping jacks to warm up. And I was like, I, I don't remember doing these for a while. Like it's, yeah, um, yeah. or did a lot of them in a school and those like yeah. free, whatever. Um, so graduate boot camp, uh, go on to a school, meet you, uh, really kind of started to, to find my tribe. I think there in in a school and a lot of big awakenings. I think meeting meeting you and um, after getting to Virginia, like spending more time with Ian and like Matt, really started to kind of change my ideas about what 
friendship looked like. Yeah. And we, we like hung out 24 seven and you all the you time, pretty, all the time. Um, and I mean, we were doing a lot of the same stuff that I was before, you know, we're still going out and partying on the beach and, and doing all those types of things, but there was something that was much different about it. And I think that the connection there was driven by more than just, um, we're not just friends because of alcohol or, or anything else. Uh, there was perfectly fine to sit in each other's company and just be quiet and, and do nothing. Um, which I I had never had before. Um, I had mentioned like, I I had gone through all these kind of like weird different friend group phases, like in high school and then right after high school. And then all of these different things, like trying to find the right people that were my people, I felt like, um, but that, that just finally clicked. And I was looking for that like tight group of people and, um, I really have come to appreciate how valuable that is over the years. Yeah, absolutely. I think that you are, our friendship was, was very interesting for me because I remember being in Pensacola and we had been friends at, at this point for a couple months and in Pensacola, if we were not in class, like if I was going somewhere, you were going somewhere and vice versa. Like if you were going somewhere, I was right there with you. You were probably the first friend that I think it was something about your car. We were leaving somewhere and you like you were frustrated and you like ripped my head off about something about getting sand in your car or something like that. And I was just like so taken back. Like I've never had a friendship where my best friend is like yelling at me and then it, I, we like squash it and we're like, good, you know, like that's yep. just, just like, just like you do with your brothers. Um, you were definitely a, uh, a passionate, <laughs> passionate dude back then. I'll use that word passionate, uh, the vein, you know, that was the first experience with the vein. And oh, I think that, that was the, the very first. <laughs> yeah. And then, then the finger, but, um, it, no, that, that was interesting because I, you know, I remember thinking back and being like, man, this dude has to be my best friend because if anybody else were to like yell at me like this, we'd be, we'd be going to blows, but it was just like, so normal, you know, yeah. or not, not normal, but it was just like, not a big deal yeah. for us to like do that. And then it's done, you know? Um, yeah. yeah. Well, and for anybody listening, Tim, mentioning my vein uh my friend group has i didn't know this for the longest time it was you guys held on to that for years before telling me about oh yeah i literally have a vein in my neck that just like i don't know i guess looks scary when i get that sucker dude that sucker boom just comes flaring out it runs all the way down the side of his neck when he's mad and it's just like that is the tell when when you you know when brock's mad when he's talking to you in a loud tone of voice and that fucking vein is just like looks like he's gonna blow an artery in his neck like oh yeah brock is mad okay there's the vein (laughs) i remember being so upset when you guys told me about that for the first time i was like how long has this been going on because i'm like completely unaware of it you know, and you guys are just like probably silently making fun of me for this thing that I don't even know that I have, but yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm working on that. And that's, uh, that's something that I'm going to 
point out too about this, or like you mentioned, like getting upset, something that I'll point out in terms of like the bigger scheme of like my development and like the military and stuff like that is um, part of the, the cockiness and arrogance, I guess I will say early on, um, I don't know whether that led to me to just be very angry, but I was like, I was a very angry person. Um, I, and I think that that was part of the reason why I enjoyed smoking weed because it, yeah. it chilled me out, um, before joining, I, you know, I have like a really hard time describing this, but I think that certain people will understand what that feeling is. But when you're, you know, when you're really mad and you just like literally feel the blood pumping in your, your body, and it literally just feels like you could run through a wall. Yeah. There was like, a an extended period of time prior to joining probably it was probably a year before um i i would wake up feeling like that just like wake up like gritting my teeth and just blood pumping and, and i for literally no reason and yeah. it just was um it just led me to be super unpleasant to a lot of people and like I said, I think that it only fueled that like kind of cockiness and like arrogance to other people. Um, certainly not very humble and like not a, a good, like humble mindset um, at all, but it's something that I'm working on and uh, try to have like less of the vein uh, coming out just in general. Yeah. Um, You've definitely and- mellowed out over the years. <laughs> I will, I will 100% give you that. The, the vein comes out way less frequently uh, now what, uh, yeah, what you, you said, you don't know why, why, I mean, where does that anger come from? No clue. I have no idea. Um, I don't know. I, I just haven't really ever been able to figure it out. And, and it's still something that I, I struggle with. Uh, like it's kind of an ongoing thing. It's now it's just more of like a coping, um, thing. And how do I manage this? And like, not, um, allow it to, to dictate my life because that's what it was before. It just is like anybody that was in the, the blast zone just got a freaking earful all the time. And now it's, um, and that's not right. Like, I don't want to be the explosive guy. And there are a couple, like, there are a couple experiences that have happened over the years that have just like, I'm so embarrassed of where people have like pointed out like my close friends since like after boot camp meeting you guys and our friends since then people in that group that have pointed out the the vain thing is a joke like i get that yeah but yeah. there have been a couple times when people have pointed out to me that i've been angry and it's it's so embarrassing like i yeah. and i just never want to be that person um i don't want to be the explosion guy and like want to be calm and like collected and mature <laughs> because yeah. nobody, nobody likes being around the, those people. But uh, there were a lot of situations that you got me out of, honestly, like your calmness. We talked about this in your interview, like you're super calm and collected, like way more than I am. And I, I could write a small novel about the <laughs> amount of times that you have come over to me and you're like, dude, it's not everything is okay. 
yeah. you don't have anything to be mad about. And whether that's we're in a bar, uh, whether I'm like wanting to strangle Ian for doing something <laughs> stupid. Um, there have just been so I, many instances. Many, many times is, you know, you, me and Ian, we would hang out Friday through Sunday, literally for four years straight. Like I got we got off work Friday. We were at, at Ian's place because he always seemed to have like the nicest barracks room. Um <laughs> yeah, there'd be many times like Sunday afternoon, like you guys are ready to just kill each other, like brothers, like good friends do, you know, and uh, just many car rides where I'd be like, I'll, you need to go here, like I'll roll with you. And I'd just be like, dude, just let's calm down, like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> dial it back. And that's, you know, and, and that's, I, it's a good thing because it's, you were the, you were always the one that was like, especially in a bar setting, like you were always ready to throw down. Um, and it's, it was, it was good because I was the one that was like really calm, but like at the end of the day, if something were to escalate, like, okay, let's escalate it. I'm, I'm right there with you. You know what I mean? But let's, let's try to like, not, not fight this guy. Cause he bumped into me or like whatever. So. Right. Well, and that just highlights the, the pettiness of like oh, yeah. how I would look at things is like, Oh, you get bumped in a bar. Like that's not a reason to like, just be screaming at somebody. That's not a reason to get the vein out, you know, yeah. <laughs> uh, you got to just chill out. So it, yeah, I, I think that meeting you was a very, very good thing for me in terms of that, because you have backed me off the ledge so many times. Um, and, and I'm, I'm grateful for that. So thank you. Absolutely. <laughs> you're, you're very welcome anytime. Um, so you finish up a school, uh, any challenges there, or is that like pretty, pretty straightforward because your particular a school was notoriously the most challenging. Like there were people that were dropping out because they couldn't, you know, pass the tests or whatever. Did you have any, any challenges with that? Because that's one thing I, in the early on in our friendship, I, I realized as you're going through this, like you are a very smart dude. Um, and that was one thing that I noticed was that there was a lot of people complaining about how difficult it was, you know, all these tests and, and the curriculum and stuff like that, but you never, you never seemed to like complain about it. It was easy for you from, from everybody else's perspective. Is that pretty accurate or know that it was easy for me i i think that i liked the challenge a little bit um we talked earlier about my time in college and it just like wasn't the classic like oh he just doesn't apply himself like <laughs> i hate yeah. how like good of a a way to describe that that is but this was something that like i was scared to fail like really scared yeah. um I, like, I didn't want to, I mean, you go fail a test and you have to like stand at attention in the office of all of these like senior enlisted people and like tell them how bad you suck. Like that scared yeah. me to death, yeah. you know? Um, and I, I really didn't want to do that. I don't think that it came natural. I mean, we were literally learning like electrical theory and all of these like power things and, you know, schematics and all of these kind of like advanced stuff. But um, it just didn't seem to me like there was a big choice. Yeah. Um, it was either like passing. do this or go home or, or like pick a different 
shitty job, be a undes airman or, or whatever. And that's right. never what you want to do. Anybody listening that's thinking about joining, if your recruiter tells you to go pack airmen because you could pick what you want, he's fucking lying to you. <laughs> do that not do a, that. That is a lie. Do not do that. Yeah. Do not go in on undesignated. Pick a damn job. Anyway, <laughs> my, that, that's my little lesson for the day. You're right. There's the two cents. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't really think about it that much. It was very hard, but I, like I said, I enjoyed the challenge and um, enjoyed learning. I, I thought that that was, it was kind of cool. And I didn't really get the, the big picture stuff of like how that was going to apply to the job, but no, uh, that's interesting that you say that though. Um, our class was pretty small and I don't know, there just yeah. didn't seem to be like an option of like failing or whatever. Yeah. Um, I- like I said, it just, it just seemed like you were like, not just like naturally like a smart dude. Like you just, people would spend Friday nights studying and, and you never really had to do that, but you were always good in your school. Like, it just seemed like you just picked that stuff up really, really quickly. Yeah. I I don't know if I was the way people describe like being good at school, and I'll kind of talk about this, like after getting out and like going back to college or whatever, but I feel like I just got really good at taking tests. And I think that that was more what it is. And it's about finding the easiest way to like, to learn something or, or to pass. I, it's kind of a bad habit, but maybe not so much to focus on like the learning it, but how do I know enough to pass this? Sure. Um, because I, I'm way more like hands-on. I got to like do it. And especially we're talking about like switches and circuits and like all of this kind of electrical stuff. And I, sure. I need to like put my hands on it. Um, yeah, yeah. So I was just mostly focused on like getting through it and, and making it. But so, uh, so before, so, so you leave a school or, or you're wrapping up a school and, and you're, you're about to go to your duty station at that point in a school. What are your thoughts of the Navy? Cause I know, I know your thoughts of the Navy when you got out, like, but what at that point in a school, you've kind of started to find your, your group of friends, your, it, you know, you have all these, these similar people around you. You also, you had said like, I kind of had like this cloud of people that was also you, you know, kind of like have this gravity around you that people just like were attracted to. Um, what at that point, are you like, okay, I could do 20 years of this. Like this is, this is great. Or. I don't, it was kind of hard to even think that far. I, I wouldn't even give myself credit into thinking that I, I was even thinking about that at that time. I knew that I w- was ready to get back and be close to home though. And it wasn't out of like a sense of, oh, I miss home and I, I want to be there or whatever. But I think that I, I maybe I just missed it. Uh, I remember like really selecting and gunning to go back to the West Coast. Yeah. Um, you know, you and Ian and you guys had gone on to, to Virginia and I was like, I don't want to do that. Uh, yeah. But I, I wasn't even really thinking that long term. I just wanted to go back, get close to the West Coast. And um, as fate would have it, like that wouldn't be that wouldn't be happening. I remember calling you guys when I got my orders and saying, oh, I'm, you know, like I'm coming to Virginia. And you and Ian are just like, wow, 
like just oh, yeah, screaming, dude. like so excited. Yeah, um, yeah. And I was just like, that made me excited to like have people that were excited to have me there. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I was kind of bummed about going to Virginia. I guess you had been picking orders. I think it was like the week that I left, like a couple days before I left. And I remember, I remember, <clears throat> remember this very vividly you kind of like almost sitting me down for a conversation and be like, dude, I love you, but I got to pick West coast orders. Like that's where I need to be. And that was kind of like, I, I was able to be on, like we had talked about our, our friends back home before we joined that were kind of like always negative about it. That was the first opportunity where I got to kind of like see it from their point of view. Um, and I was like, dude, I like, I get it. It fucking sucks. But like, if, if you go there, that will suck. Cause like, you know, you're my best friend, but if, if that's, if that's what, what you have to do, then, then go do it. Uh, and then I also remember that phone call. Uh, I think it was like a Friday afternoon and it I was, was already with, with Ian and you're like, uh, I'm coming to Virginia and we were just fucking losing it. Like, and I, I think you had hung out with Ian a little bit, but I don't, you definitely were not like the best of friends with him yet. Um, but yeah, no, we were just like freaking stoked. So yeah. no, anyway. and it ended up working out. Um, oh yeah. Oh yeah. It ended up, I now wouldn't have changed that, but yeah, I think that, I was like eager to like maybe go be close to home and like be able to go back there and like show everybody like this new person that I was. And yeah, I, I don't think that I had like still, it still hadn't set in like me drawing the line in the sand of kind of like an older me and like a newer me yet. Um, I was still kind of like talking to people that I was friends with back then and whatever um still like eager to go home and like cut up with people and whatever but um uh, and like tell them about oh like this is what I've done and whatever and that kind of ended up like slowly fading away but yeah uh yeah so get up to virginia um i don't know spent 2 years kind of just like screwing around i don't know what we were doing traveling all over the place hanging out um i had like had shore duty first and which was i don't know neither good really nor bad um but nothing like super eventful had like another really long school that was like six months again that took up a bunch of time and then um after that because of how the navy's rotation works for anybody unfamiliar if you go to shore duty first you can actually your shore rotation is shorter because they want to get you back to deployable status. So I got picked up early to leave and go on deployment, uh, which was like a huge shock. I, yeah. I don't think I wasn't ready for that. That like, that scared me so bad. Um, yeah. 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 I remember. Yeah. So, so your short duty really not much happened. You had picked up rank though, like first time up at, at your short duty. Yeah. Um, so definitely it can like continuing to excel and figure out how to pass tests and, and kind of cracked the code, if you will. Uh, so you had made rank and then you were, it was your first time up for orders, right. For, yeah. for C duty. And then you'd gotten, 
you got your hard copies and you they're like, hey, you got to fly out to the boat. And they gave you what, like three months notice or something like that? It was under two, I think. Was it? Okay. Yeah. It was Maybe that very, two months just quick. felt like a freaking long time because once you got that, you were definitely on edge. Like you could tell that, that you were nervous about it and um, kind of reluctant to go. Where, what is it that, that made you nervous about deployment? Was it the deployment itself? What it, was it more of like the social aspect back home? Uh, or when I say back home, I mean like back in Virginia with, with us, I mean, what, what made you nervous about it? I mean, probably all of those things really, um, one, we didn't have any friends that had gone on deployment before. So nobody really knew what that was like. Yeah. Um, we didn't really have anything to compare to. And I was kind of of the opinion. I was like, oh, I'm going to write out my time here and was probably already kind of like thinking about getting out. And because I remember a time in that, that first like year or two after getting to Virginia, sitting down with you and Ian and saying, Hey, are you guys going to stay in for 20 years? If we get out at, if we get out at four, do you guys want to move back to Boise with me? Yeah. Like I, I will say that I like, I had that one in the stove, like that iron was in the stove very early on. Like we were a yes. year into being in yeah. and I was like, Hey, we should get out and move to Boise. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, literally brought that to fruition eventually, but, um, yeah, nobody had, nobody had done deployment yet. Didn't really know what to expect a short turnaround time, you know, they say, Hey, in two months, you literally need to get all your shit together and fly across the country to like, or across the world yeah, literally yeah. to go meet this boat somewhere. Um, I, there were just so many unknowns. Uh, and, and at this point too, we had such an established friend group me, you, Ian, Matt, Emily, like we, we really had everybody that we needed. We had yeah. kind of like expanded our group and really just enjoyed hanging out every weekend. It wasn't that we had to be doing anything, but mm -hmm. really had created a strong support system and great relationships with people that I would argue are just, they're difficult to recreate. And one of the reasons 100%. why we're still friends to this day, I remember so many instances of people that we would meet and say, oh, you can come hang out with our friends and them saying, oh, I've never seen a friendship like this. Yeah. And that was like such a foreign concept to a lot of people. And it was weird. I mean, it was natural for us. It just kind yeah. of like developed out of thin air. But that was that was my first clue into seeing that we had something that was unique. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's and I think we talked about this on my interview, but almost intimidating for somebody when it's their first time coming to hang out. Like, man, these all these guys are on a way different like level than. I could probably ever be with them. Yeah. You know, like kind of, kind of a scary, kind of a scary thing to try to step into. And I think we were all like hyper aware of that and we would try our best to like, not 
like we'd try our best to bring people in and be like, no, like we're just a normal friend group. It, it kind of sounds weird to like talk about it, but um, like we were all very well aware of it, but it just seemed like no matter how hard we tried, like, like you had to be freaking tough as nails for one to like survive in that friend group because it didn't matter who you were. You were getting, you were getting roasted all the time. Like, uh, you need to be, you need to be able to bounce back quick, have thick skin and like take, take the shit because that we were all. And I think, I think that that's kind of one thing that we really bonded on is that that's kind of how all of us showed our like love for somebody or that we like somebody is like, if I give you a hard time and harass you and, and roast you, like, that means that I like, I'm good friends with you. If I'm really nice to you, I probably am not very good friends with you. You know right. what I mean? Well, and we kind of perpetuated this just like schedule of like nonstop, just debauchery. Mostly, oh, yeah. you know, we're <laughs> go, every weekend just going camping, like just no sleep, guns blazing all the time. Um, I about the the high bar that you're talking about of just like roasting people and kind of like loving on them, but like in, in a, a rough kind of way. Yeah. Uh, I won't mention any names. You'll know who I'm talking about. But I remember there was one, it was a Sunday afternoon and Matt had invited us to church. And um, we went out to, to church with Matt and we were with this one individual and she was like, she had been hanging out with us for some time and like really, I don't know, she just like wanted to be our friend. And I remember somebody said something in the car and we had just if you're around this like rough group of guys like you're you're gonna be just you gotta have be tough as nails like you said I remember somebody said something to her in the car that was kind of like poking at her or like roasting her for something and she just burst into tears just crying like like the the sad ugly crying like just completely destroyed and by the time she like comes to and like can talk she literally says i don't think i can hang out with you guys anymore and we yeah. never saw her again <laughs> like yeah <that> was... <laughs> i know exactly who you're talking about and i remember i remember that vividly uh and i still we... feel bad for that like well and and, th- and that's what i was gonna say like like hearing that story that's it we're, we're like laughing about it now but we we did like feel and kind of still do like feel very bad about that like but again it was one of those things that like that's kind of how that's how we showed our appreciation and we were very quick to like if somebody wants to be friends and like hang out with us like heck yeah like come on like like roll with us come on over come here like but it's almost kind of like a like a gang like kind like if you're going to be in this group like you're in the group like if we go somewhere like we expect you to go with us you know what i mean like whoa what do you mean you're not coming over on friday night and leaving on sunday like what what are you talking about that's so weird why would you leave on saturday morning you know like that kind of thing um there, yeah. You could have no other plans other than hanging out with us, basically. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which sounds so arrogant to like put oh, it out there. Time. But it's just like that's how that's like how close knit we were. Like, like you got something going on. Where are we going? Like, right. Oh, we yeah. are all gonna go do that together. Yeah, like, yeah, like like we have plans. I need you there with me for moral support. Like, right. I'm going to the grocery store. We're all going. Like, yes, uh, yeah, yeah. 
Well, and it's funny how that dynamic played out. I had, I've never really thought about this, but talking about it makes me realize like how much that actually played out in my relationships at that time too, because I like, I kind of was still a little bit cocky, but in like a different way and like, a, Oh, yeah. I've got my shit together now and I've got my friend group and whatever. But when I was like seeing people, I, I basically had it in my head that there almost couldn't even be somebody that I could meet that would even take a higher priority than my friend group. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like I, there were several relation. I don't even know if I'd call them relationships, but people that I had seen during that period where they kind of like wanted to have like other time that was not with all of us as a group. And I basically mm -hmm. said, that's not going to work for me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, like we're, we can't all hang out as a group. And a, a little bit of that is driven by just, I grew up in a big family. Like I really enjoyed that like cohesiveness and we had yeah. just like, we had built that, like replicated it perfectly. And I, it's hard for, at the time, it's hard for me to imagine like wanting to spend time with somebody that also didn't include that. And so I, uh, in hindsight, thankfully missed and like, didn't stop talking to people because, uh, the, the friend group was more important and, yeah. um, it ended up working out exactly how it should. Um, but it's interesting how that dynamic was, was played out. It was that important yeah. to just no, be it was. out every weekend. And I think that that was probably like Jessica and I being long distance, that's probably one of the main reasons why we did work. Jessica and I did work out is because she wasn't trying to pull me away from my friend group, you know, every weekend had she lived there. So her being across the country, I was like, it basically had my cake and eat it too. You know, like I, I had my girlfriend that I would see, but then I also was like free to do what I wanted with my friends on the weekend never thought about it that way neither have i it just true. popped in my head yeah yeah like like had she lived in virginia uh, and it was kind of i mean we all had that that same mentality you know it wasn't specific to you because and i think we all other than matt and emily i think we all you me and ian all have big families so that's i've also never thought about it that way either of like that's kind of what we were used to is just like always being around people uh yeah that just popped in my head like that first couple of years of us being long distance is probably was probably a good thing because i also would have had the same the same thoughts of like no yeah. this is this is where i need to be yeah no that's super true um um yeah, we, we've spent a bunch of time talking about our, our friend group, but I think that that even just, that expounds on why leaving for deployment was so hard. Like yeah. just, we had really developed this thing that I was happy to be a part of. And um, so it, it was just difficult to step away and into the unknown about that. Uh, it, it ended up being a really good experience though. It was brutal, but it, it was a good experience overall um, did six months on the boat, six or seven months on the boat. Um, and then ended up coming back and finally kind of reuniting with you guys. And, and which was tough on so many levels, like I said, stepping away from that and then seeing 
like hearing from you guys and whatever was so, so hard yeah. to, to kind of work through that. Um, and you're so isolated, you know, with bad internet connection and you just feel like nobody gives a shit while you're away. Yeah. But, yeah. Was deployment everything you, you hoped and dreamed it, it would be? Did that like solidify like, Oh, this is what it is. I'm getting out. I mean, what, <laughs> what was the, what was the main takeaway from deployment? One of the, the big takeaways well, that was definitely one of them. Uh, I had had my fair share of like mopping and like cleaning floors and not that there's anything wrong with that, but I realized that that's for the long-term goal of what I was trying to have like a family maybe someday and like being close to my friends and family, that's not a sustainable model for life, uh, being yeah. away all the time like that. Another way that it reinforced the importance of like friends and family to me was that I got to go to like all these cool places, which was great. And afterwards you get home and you, you can't wait to tell everybody about your experiences and you're like, look at all this stuff. And it's tough because nobody really cares. And I, people care. They like want to hear about it, but yeah, they don't yeah. really care because they weren't there. And that one of the summed up the biggest takeaway there is your experiences matter because of the people that you're with, not the things that you do. Yeah. And so being able to like reminisce, like me and you could sit here and reminisce about, you know, we're talking about our friend group, just like literal basic things, but it was so important and it, it was impactful and on the surface, looking at all of these places that I got to travel, I would think that that would be more meaningful, but it, I wasn't with the people that I wanted to be doing it with. And so it means much less. Yeah. And yeah, so yeah. I think that that's very applicable to almost anything that you do, whether whatever kind of career you're in, it's all about the people really. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So when, when you're on deployment, you met your fiance. I did meet my fiance uh, very briefly. She gave me the cold shoulder for a long time. Um, and I really had to play the long game on uh, getting to actually talk to her because she was a very, people knew who she was on the boat. I guess I'll just say that everybody was aware of her. Uh, I mean, she's beautiful. Of course, everybody oh, yeah. it. they know who she is. Uh, 5,000, five, 7,000 people on one boat and you still know who people are. Yeah. Uh, I wasn't super like forward about trying to meet her. I would say hi because she lived right down the, the hall from where my shop was. Uh, but we, we didn't really interact until by last year in the Navy, we got back from deployment, I think August of 2017. And then um, we actually ended up starting to talk the following year, which was yeah. kind of a, that was an interesting thing because by that point I was certain about getting out. We had talked like you and you and Jess were ready to move back to Boise. So was Ian, like all of my planning had like finally worked out. We were all going to Boise and I, I had like given up on dating at that point. Yeah. I was already kind of had a bad taste in my mouth, was ready to just be done. And we started talking and very early on, I remember saying like, we're, I, I'm getting out at the end of the year and I'm moving back to Boise 
just so you mm-hmm. know, like nothing yeah. that you can say is going to change that. And she was like, okay, that's fine. Like I'm re-enlisting. And so that's what I'm doing. It, said, it okay. actually, it was not, it was not that easy for her. Um, uh, we can kind of, we can kind of circle back to it. Cause I don't, I don't want you to lose your train of thought, but there are, I, I have points that I want to make here. No, so, let's hear it. <laughs> so, uh, First of all, Aubrey was was very well known on the boat because, like you said, she's a a beautiful girl. Everybody kind of knew who she was because she was one of a handful of of very pretty girls on the boat. And she kind of had the same. Almost the same attitude as you, like, I don't want to say like an arrogance, but just like a. it's hard for me to put my finger on it kind of like a, I know people know who I am, but like, don't fucking talk to me. Like, like, like when she would like walk down the hall, it was like, that's, you know, um, but, and it was this weird thing of like, obviously when I, once you got back from deployment, I started going out on little workups with, with you guys on that same ship. And, uh, I remember having somebody, I ate chow with you guys or was hanging out with you guys or whatever. And somebody came up and was like, Oh, like, how do you, how do you know Atchison? Or, and I'm like, that's my, my like buddy's kind of girlfriend. I don't even think like, like you guys were dating yet, you know, but like, I like had other dudes ask me like how I know her. And I'm like, I, what, like, okay, weirdos. Like, it's just uh, this girl, like that's talking to my buddy, you know? Yeah. So there definitely was like, she, people, people knew of her and, and she, she carried it well. Um, but she, when you had had the conversation of, Hey, I'm getting out at the end of the year. I remember having a conversation with her in your shop. I don't think that, that you were there and her being like, I don't really know what to do. Like I'm scheduled to reenlist, but I kind of don't want to reenlist so that I can like be with Brock but this is also still very new. And so like, this is such a big life choice to like kind of throw away for like this new guy. But I think, and I think both of you knew very early on that it would, that this was like something very special. Right. She's saying that as we, we hadn't even been talking for a month. Like it was one of those things where you like meet and you're like, Oh, this this might actually be something. And me, I was kind of like soured anyway. And I, I felt the same way. Uh, mm-hmm. Like this, this could be something, but I also have not known you enough to like alter my plans for yet. And I, I even told her, I was like, why don't you reenlist for like two? Yeah. Not six. And uh, you know, she ended up doing six, which has been fine, <laughs> but. Uh, no, you're the dependa. Uh, right, I am. Yeah. Hey, I, yeah. I got my own job now. I'm I know. I'm just kidding. We're gonna get into that. I'm just. I'm totally playing with you. Uh, yeah. No, that's that's cool. But I, yeah, I remember she was like kind of asking me my opinion on it, and I'm like, in my head, like, silly girl. One, this is my best friend. Two, I had I have also started to become good friends with her, and I liked hanging out with her, and she meshed well with you, and and she was I was able to roast the shit out of her, and she would give it right back, and um, 
So uh, selfishly, I also was like, nah, get out. Like, it'll, you, you know, it's it's going places. Like, come to Idaho. You know, you've had my back since day one. Man. Oh, I appreciate dude. it. But you as well. Uh, but yeah, no, I'm I'm like, why are you asking me my opinion? Like this this dude's like my best friend. Like, of course, I'm gonna tell you that that he's a great dude. And, and that and you you were. Um but so yeah she had like asked my opinion and i i think i remember telling her probably something similar like well i know brock's gonna go to college maybe do two years and then that way you're if you want to re-enlist or get the fuck out and come to idaho with us you know so right yeah well and it's good that she was able to persist through that because she still even talks about the barriers to entry of like the group at that point yeah um very talks very deeply about those the barriers of like breaking into that friend group and i'm very thankful she was able to persist through that yeah um yeah but yeah yeah. um anyway i guess back on like career-wise stuff uh yeah i by this point i was certain about getting out a buddy of mine or not even a friend of mine a guy in my shop that i worked with had given me like a book on investing Mm-hmm. And at this point I was like, oh, I'm going to go to like college and I don't know what else I'm going to do, but I, I'm doing like electrical engineering right now in the Navy. Maybe I'll just do that for school. Guy gives me an investing book. I start like, I just devoured it, loved it. Went and bought a bunch more books on like personal finance and like investing and, and really just kind of fell in love with the subject and ultimately kind of changed my degree to finance before getting out, uh, got out and November of 2018 and then uh, started school for finance in January, like yeah. two months later. So yeah, uh, that's the the Navy spiel though. A lot can happen in four years, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, and just over those four years, like you, you personally, I guess over like the time of getting out of high school between getting out, like you had changed so much. Like from the time I knew you for those four years, you had gone from kind of like finding your friend group, but still we were partying our nuts off and, and having a great time. But then towards the end, it was very evident to the, all of our friends that there was, and it was probably right around the time that, that you got home from deployment. There was kind of like this shift into like you really started to take an interest into finance and you were like diving into that heavy. And that really kind of seemed to take uh, a level of importance in your life over anything else that we had really been interested in. Um, It was on deployment that you got that investing book, wasn't it? Or was it it after? It was after, I think it was like early year 2018. Um, Yeah but a little bit before I I had met Aubrey, but yeah. And I think that getting back from deployment was kind of, there was a big shift like happening with everybody, you know, Mm -hmm. Jess had moved out there and you guys were together. Um, Everybody was kind of like starting to make some bigger or, or preparing to make some bigger life moves of like getting out and starting kind of the next chapter, I guess. Yeah. 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 So you jump into, you start doing financing um, and then you were personally like starting to invest and, and like take that pretty serious on like your own accounts. I think you had even like taken out your, 
Navy retirement to like invest that personally. Like, no, this is shit. Let me, let me fix it. Um, right. And then, yeah. then you start, you get out, you start going to school and you hammered out a, a four year degree in like two and a half years. You'd taken a little bit of college in the Navy in your spare time, but like you had crushed a, a big degree very quickly. Yeah, it was coming back to school. There was just like this level of aggression towards school that I had like never kind of felt before. And I was just like, I felt really behind kind of in life in general. You know, I was like dicked around for a couple of years, joined the Navy. And I'm like now, I don't know how old we were, 24, 25, yeah. getting out of the Navy. And I have like, I felt like I had nothing to show for my life. You know, I've got the time in the Navy, but that doesn't, all my friends are like, oh, I just got my master's and all of these things. Sure. And, um, I just, I felt behind. Yeah. And so I like went back to school, just ready to like get super aggressive with it. And, and I did, and it was, it was much different the second time around, took it seriously. And I had a monster course load all the time, you know, 15, 18 credits every semester, even during the summer and just trying to get it done. Was uh, that weird for you? Like that shift of uh, what's important in the Navy making rank. And like, that's kind of how you, um, that's kind of how you compare somebody to somebody else in the military, right. Is, is their rank. And so like, that's like the stepping stone, but then you get out and like, nobody gives a shit what, what rank you were, but now it's like based on your education level or your job or whatever. I mean, was there any sort of a struggle there getting out and like dealing with that? A little bit. There's like certainly a big loss of like identity. You know, I am like so interested to talk to people who have gone through that experience because it's, it's different for everybody, but I find it particularly interesting with active duty people that think that they're going to get out and not be impacted by that because there are so many like layers of your thinking that are just baked into military culture and the world just doesn't work like that. Yeah. You're thrust back into the, just like the wild, wild West and there's no structure. There's no organization. You don't belong anywhere. I like, even though I like, I went back home and moved in with my parents to like go to school, but there's kind of like that weird feeling of, Oh, I can't just show up at any military base and like have a room and like something to eat if I want like that. I don't, not that I ever actually needed to use that, but for some reason that was a scary thought to me. Um, but that, that sense of belonging just wasn't there. Um, but that, what it did was it, it began to kind of like foster that like love of, that like veteran pride, really. Um, that's, it's hard for me to explain like the pride of like being a veteran. And it was yeah. always weird to me, like talking to my dad, cause he was always just like super gung ho about like, you know, like you've, you did this, you serve, like, I'm so proud of you, all this stuff. And I'm just like, dad, like, it's no big deal. Like quit yeah. worrying about it. Like quit sweating. It's, it's no big deal. And he said, no, you know, it is a big deal. And now I'm like rabid about it. 
You yeah. know, that's half the fucking reason we're doing this podcast is because yeah. we're, we do care about that. And it, it's hard to, to describe what that feeling is. Yeah. Um, and it, it's not, interesting to me too, that like, even you kind of went through that because out of everybody, you were the one that was like most ready to get out. Like Ian was also ready to get out, but like, I think you were the most vocal about it. Uh, we had talked about how I really, really liked the Navy. And I, th- I think you liked the Navy for the first couple of years, but like towards the end, you were like, I can't fucking wait to like go be my own person again. So it's interesting to hear that, like when you got out, you kind of also had that like sense of like identity crisis uh because you were like so emotionally ready to to move on oh yeah i don't think that that changes how you feel about it you you can be you can hate the navy or the military in general but you'll still feel some type of way about it i'm pretty confident of that but yeah i i wanted to one of the things that I realized late in the Navy, and there's a lot of correlations to like just personal development and, and investing and like all these other things, but I realized that the, the Navy has capped upside for me. I want to be working on things that have unlimited upside. And I want to only be limited by my drive to excel and, and to succeed. And the Navy kind of rewards everybody equally. Yeah. You know, there, yeah. there's some shit bags and whatever, but like, if you just kind of show up, you'll eventually make rank. Yeah. You know, and it's not that I wasn't rewarded for the work that I did. I made rank and did all these things, but it certainly wasn't at the pace that I, I wanted and wanted to, to search out more. So um, everything you said there was right. I, I, because of my interest in finance, I like withdrew my entire retirement thing, uh, retirement account into my own thing, started managing my own money there, went to school for finance and just like dove straight in, got plugged in with like the investing club at the school, took a couple like real high quality internships and uh, really thrust myself into school in a way that I hadn't before. And just the work ethic that the military gives you is will make, we've talked about this with somebody else, but uh, I think Matt, one of our first interviews, he mentioned it, but it's something that I found myself saying a lot is that the military makes the rest of life really easy. Like going in and like taking these classes, I'm like, you're telling me that I just have to show up once. I don't even have to go to class if I don't want to. And like, I, but not using that in a lazy way, but like I was back in control of my own time yeah, 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 and could dictate my own study schedule. And as long as I was getting good grades, that's all that mattered. Um, and like I said, everything just seems easy. Like the, yeah. the tests don't really have the thing. It became more of how do I apply just this like work ethic to getting good grades. And it was a completely different story going back to school and, and it just was a breeze. It, it almost doesn't even feel like the same experiences when I went the first time. Yeah. Well, and that's kind of a note that I had written down to myself was like, you are not a good student the first time. And then going back, uh, someone argued like that was uh, like, it was crazy. Like you, like I said, you had hammered out a bachelor's degree in like two and a half years. Um, so 
<laughs> from the outside looking in, that was, that's nuts, man. So good job on that. Cause that was a lot of work. Um, so you start kind of getting into finance and, and you realize that that's, that's what, what you want to do with, with your life. Um, you're in finance now, kind of, you're a data analyst. Right. Yeah. How do you yeah. like, how do you like that? Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. Um, it's kind of an, a little bit of an adjacent field and something that came up because of my school. I actually took my school offered like a secondary certificate uh, in, I think it was called data analytics, just some kind of certificate with that. And I was like, oh, I'll, I'll take that. Like I'm interested in how finance and like data kind of come together. And uh, weirdly, I, I loved it. Uh, we did a lot of coding work and uh, more like kind of computer science stuff, but I use that as like an opportunity to kind of expand my scope. And I still love finance, talk about it on Twitter all the time. I love investing, do that all the time. Um, but my scope and like love for certain hobbies has just kind of like exploded during that time. Um, after I graduated, I was actually planning to go back to school to get a computer science master's because I liked it so much. And I ended up getting reached out to for a job from actually one of my managers that worked at the call center with me, weirdly. Wow, she, I never she knew that. Reached, yeah, she reached out and said, hey, I think this is kind of up your alley. I need to hire somebody that can do what you can do. Uh, are you interested? And so I was like, yeah, it was too good of an opportunity to, to pass up and I get to work from home and kind of make my own schedule a lot of the time. So I really enjoy that. Um, not sure that it's like what I want to do for the rest of my life. Uh, one thing that we've talked about in several of our interviews is how the military has kind of showed me that I like want to be my own boss and be, I want to be who I'm answering to, which I don't think that I, can find somebody that can hold me to the standard that I want to be held to. Yeah. And so, and I, I think that oh, self-ownership of a business is a, a great way to do that. And we've talked about buying a small and medium-sized business, uh, using those kind of like finance skills to like talk about that and, and explore that as an opportunity, but keeping the options open and, and it's good. Um, I think that, you really just need to come back to school or like getting out of the Navy in general, come in with an open mind and be willing to kind of go down whatever rabbit hole is interesting to you. Mm -hmm. um, I think that one of the largest things and opportunities for service members as a whole is you're thrust back into this world where there's no structure, there's no organization and it's, it's super daunting, but it should be encouraging because you can literally do anything yeah. in this world. You know, you can start your own business today. If you wanted to, you can go work somewhere. You can work anywhere in the world. There's so many opportunities so that, and that shouldn't be overwhelming. It should be empowering to look at and say, what challenges do I want to tackle? There's no excuse to not do something you don't, you love basically. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think I think that it was pretty clear that you had had that epiphany uh, as you're kind of getting started to get out and started to kind of dive into finance. And you're like, wait, no, I can I can do all this stuff like like this. This is is what I want to do. Um, and you and I have kind of talked at length about, you know, you kind of being your own boss is something that that you're very, very passionate about. Um, what are you doing to kind of work towards that and and make that make that happen? I think that the the first and foremost point along the that path is understanding like what the end goal is. Um, I was just having this conversation with somebody on Veterati the other day doing one of the, the mentorship calls, give them another shout out. Um, but they're like asking about career fields and all this stuff. And I was like, you got to start with what is the lifestyle that you're trying to live? Mm-hmm. And, and starting with the end in mind will allow you to only pursue things that go that, that direction. So one of the, the things that was interesting to me about finance was like, oh, when I was going to school right at the beginning, I was like, oh, I'm going to go work on Wall Street. I want to work for a hedge fund. I want to do all this stuff. And then after kind of like learning more about it, I found out that like junior analysts, like you just show up out of school, you show up to New York City and, you know, you go work at a, a big finance firm. Congrats. You're going to be working 80 hours a week. And I was like, oh, that's not what I want. Why yeah, do you, yeah. I don't want to be doing that. Yeah. So thinking about, okay, where do I want to live? What kind of hours do I want to work? Do I want to be flexible in my time off? Asking those types of questions and then working backwards of like, okay, what jobs support that type of lifestyle? Sure. And then having that in mind, you can then ask the questions about, okay, what am I interested in? And how can my interests lead me to that goal? Um, I think that that was one of the things that I always found really overwhelming going into college the first time is there's, you know, a, a handbook this thick of different career fields. And there's this pressure of like, oh, what if I pick the wrong thing? Sure. I That shouldn't be the way that it, it's looked at. I think that people should step back and look at the things that you don't want to do in terms of, you know, when you're looking at individual jobs that support your end goal lifestyle, you know, this job is super paperwork focused. Do you like doing paperwork or no? No, I don't. Okay. I can rule that out. Right. And I think the big thing is, is getting to the conclusion as fast as you possibly can. So okay, I'm interested in this career field. What the, your first inkling is like, oh, I need to go get a degree in that and then whatever. But it's like, wait a second. Why wouldn't you just like, maybe once you read a book on it and see if you're actually interested in it first, because for $20, I guarantee you can find out whether you actually like that or not. Yeah. So the last like a little bit in school, but definitely in the last like couple of years, I have just been like, kind of saying yes to everything so I can figure out what I like. My, I took a job while I, the last semester that I was in school uh, working at a coffee shop because I thought that I wanted to, to open a coffee shop when I moved back to Virginia. And I found out, oh, this might be a little, a little bit harder than I thought. And this will take some more 
kind of thought and planning. So maybe I won't do that. And then I was kind of more interested in um, like a private equity job. So I went and got an internship at a private equity firm, found out eh, that's probably also not for me. So going into the mindset of like, when you're looking at your career, thinking about what is the fastest way that I can validate that this is what I want to do so that you can say no very quickly. And then, you know, you know, like if you're interested in a certain field, you read your book, you mark it off onto the next one and just kind of steadily go down the list till you find that thing that clicks. And um, finance has kind of been that. I, I think that um, owning a, a small and medium-sized business is something that also might fill that niche, but I don't know yet. You know, um, this podcast has like filled a niche and like giving back to the veteran community as something that I have really come to like grow to enjoy and love and realize that that's something that it may not be a career move for me. I don't know if there's a job in this someday, but right now I get a lot of joy doing this. So spending time doing that. Um, that That's just the biggest lie people are told is that you can't make a living doing what you love. And I, I refuse to believe that. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I remember when you, you got that job at the coffee shop and you were, or I, yeah, you got the job and you came over to my house and you were like telling me about it. You're like, I, you know, this is my, this is what I I'm planning to open my own coffee shop in Virginia. Like you'd had like a lot of plans on it. And then you're like, and because I want to do that, I just got this job at this coffee shop. And I remember just being like, holy shit, dude. Like that is so smart. Like that, that like, what a brilliant thing to do, you know, rather than just like jumping right in and, and like, trying to like figure everything out you're like no i'm gonna go work here so i can kind of like figure out the the ins and outs of the business and like make sure that that it's something that i want to do and i remember just like yet again like you cracked the code you know like like that's how you would do it uh and i i was like really really blown away by that just thinking like and i remember you left that night and i was talking to jessica about it like that's so fucking smart that that he's that he's doing that like like oh my gosh um and then you ended up doing it and like you said you're like eh, not not really what i want to do or it's you know whatever not not my thing um so how does somebody how does somebody do that but like still maintain uh money and, and income and, and stuff like that. I mean, I, I assumed a lot of this stuff, like at the coffee shop, I have to assume you were not making a ton of money. You're making some money. I'm, I'm sure like you're working there, um, which, which definitely helps. But like if somebody wanted to do like a free internship and stuff like that, but they still have rent to pay, like how does somebody do that? Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I was making seven twenty-five an hour, which literally yeah. sucks so bad. My boss was 16 years old. Like, if you can believe that I'm like literally so up to date on just like the Meridian, Idaho, like high school gossip. I'm like 28 fucking years old. And I'm like talking to this girl about, oh, this girl's a bitch. Like, (laughs) yeah, God, that was that was kind of a rough time. But um, yeah. And I'm sure uh, I, I, I want to, I want you to answer the question, but I'm sure like to them, they're like, man, this like freaking veterans, like work here at this coffee shop. I'm his boss. But like in reality, like you were the big brain play there. Like, like you were 
that was the smart move to be there, but to like other people working there, it might've like seemed weird to them. Oh yeah. I mean, in my head, I'm like looking at, oh, looks like they get shipments of milk once a week. This is how many pounds of coffee they're using. Like yeah. those are the types of questions. Like I was obviously learning how to make the coffee, but looking at the logistics of, hey, what does it take to run something like this? So but yeah, I mean, I think that they knew very early on when I, the second day of training, the guy, one of like the high up, like leaders of the organization for the region comes in and he's like, he's younger than me. He's like yeah. 26 or 27. And he comes in and he's like, dude, what are you doing here? Like, yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, you know, like, I think that I might want to open a coffee shop. Like, I think I could run one of these and I want to, I want to learn it. And he even said, he was like, okay, well, when you spend two weeks learning how to make coffee, just give me a call and we'll, we'll put you on like a different track. Cause he knew that I was yeah, yeah. there for something bigger. Um, what was the question again? Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> oh, so how do people how, do that? Yeah. Yep. Yep. I think that the, there's a lot of, you hear a lot of stories in like kind of early entrepreneurship of people that are like, oh, I just quit my job and like went full time and like just put everything on the line. And yeah. that's all bullshit. Like that, that doesn't happen successfully a lot. You hear about the success stories. You hear one, one of those for every thousand that doesn't work out. So I don't think that that's the right way to do things. I think that you need to really focus on getting your time right. And people have so much time on their hands and they waste it away doing little things that aren't moving their life forward. Um, so, and what I, I'm going to circle back to that in a second, but you're not going to get your dream job just right off the, the gun. You can't just like step into something and you be good to go on it. Sometimes you got to work the job that you don't want to be doing but using your off time to like explore the next option. So like during the time while I was going to school, I mean, I was basically living on my GI bill. I lived at home, like in my parents' house with them. And I'm like buying groceries for my family and like helping to clean up on the weekends to like sort of pay rent. Um, and that was kind of like a unique opportunity that like maybe not everybody has, but sure. regardless, you work 40, 50 hours a week okay, what are you doing with the rest of the other time? You're, yeah. you're not going to just like roll right into what you're doing um, or what you want to be doing. You have to kind of create that. And that's the, that it's the barrier, but like, it's also the way to go too. There's a, um, uh, a phrase in like, in stoicism, that's like the problem is the way or like what, whatever the barrier is the way, something along those lines. And the excuse that people make, oh, I don't have time. I don't have this. I don't have that. Well, like, cool. Like the people that figure out how to work around that are the people that are going to be successful. Yeah. So like whatever it is, your hobby, like you, you know, you're one of the hardest workers I know. Like you work freaking <laughs> crazy hours, but you still find time to like stream on your off days and like make YouTube videos and whatever. And, you know, it may not be something that you can do full time yet, but you, you love it enough to work on it when you're just exhausted. Yeah. And, and I think that that is the, the true tell of how you found something that you're, you're passionate about. 
like this podcast is a lot of work for both of us. Yeah. But we both find time to do it, even though we both work full time and we're not getting paid for doing this. So finding, uh, going down the, the route of like what I was talking about earlier, trying a bunch of different things till you find the thing that you would do without getting paid. And you're just willing to kind of like take a beating, almost like you'd pay to do it. Like this podcast, we're paying to do this podcast because we like it so much and just spend as much time as you can on it. You know, that's, and that means sacrificing some other things. Um, You know, that's sacrificing your Netflix time after work. Congrats. Like the people that are hustling and moving forward in life, they don't, they don't fucking watch Netflix. You know, they're, (laughs) they're, they're working, you know, they're, they're um, a a guy on Twitter. I saw the other day, he said, work, um, work five to nine. So you can escape the nine to five. Which, which really, yeah, that's it. It took me a second to like, oh yeah, no five to nine. Yeah. That's, I mean, yeah. Yeah. It's tough. It's really hard, but um, that's why not everybody finds success in that. And because a lot of people aren't willing to, to give up the, the other things to, to kind of go about doing that. Um, and, uh, a little bit of it might be a sense of entitlement, you know, or, oh, I, I worked, I worked so hard this week and, you know, I deserve this time off or whatever. Like, here's a newsflash. Like you don't deserve shit. Yeah. <laughs> like you really don't, you yeah, know, yeah. that's one of the things that I disagree so wholeheartedly with about a lot of people in our generation is because we, we do have a very deserving mindset and that's mm-hmm. good. If you can channel it into ways that are like, Hey, I deserve to be successful. Not I deserve to have more time off. Right. Right. And so when you think that you deserve to be successful, you're willing to put in the work to do it. Yeah. And, um, yeah, that means like, it takes a lot of time. It's uncomfortable. It sucks. But like, I get, I look forward to the weekends because that's the time when I have the most uninterrupted time to work on the things that I care about. And, uh, I, I'm not saying that I am like a role model by any means. I have done a lot of things wrong and I still am nowhere near where I want to be. But I think that that mentality and attitude is right. And I think over the long term that will, will come back to, and and we'll be rewarded for it. And I think too, the biggest thing that I've kind of taken away from all that stuff that you're talking about is being willing to, to put your ego on the line, like being willing to be the 28 year old who goes and works at a coffee shop so that he can like maybe get some funny looks like, dude, what the fuck are you doing here? Like you, you have a bachelor's degree. Like, what are you doing here? But like, you're the big brain in the room. Like, you know what I mean? You're there. You're not just like, they're taking orders and like talking about gossip. Like you're there paying attention to all, like you said, all the logistics and, and kind of putting your, your ego on the line to take an unpaid internship so that you can learn the business so that then you can keep moving forward on what it is that, that you ultimately want to do. And I think that that's very commendable and not a lot of people are willing to do something like that. And, and I think that that really is going to be something that, that 
makes you successful. You know, that that's going to be a big divider in your life is, is you personally were willing to do that when I don't know if I know another person that would be willing to do that. Um, so that's a, that's a super cool thing <laughs> that, I, I mean, it. yeah, absolutely. Um, we should probably start wrapping up here. Um, what advice do you have for somebody that, that wants to get into finance? I mean, I know you dove into a bunch of books and I mean, first from the outside looking in, and I don't know the first thing about finance, it's, that's, it's a scary thing. Like there's a lot to it. Um, where would somebody even begin? Like, how do you start in that? That's a tough, that's a tough one. I think that it depends what, so like with any kind of broad category, there's a lot of different things that make up finance. I think that that would be the first place to start is figuring out what within, what mini subject within that interests you. And so like within finance, you know, maybe there's, there's personal finance, like, you know, coaching and advising like on that there's investing, there's investment banking, there's private equity, there's venture capital, there's like all of these different subsets of what like kind of make up a a much larger category. And I I think that it would come back to something that I said earlier is just start, find find the thing that requires the least investment from you that will tell you the answer that you need. So, and it, to me, that's usually a book. Like I, you gotta be freaking ready to read on, and maybe that's just like my bias. I love to read, but it's because I have learned a lot and it has guided my decisions uh, just from reading so much. So if you, if somebody is drawn to finance, go read a book on personal finance and coaching. And, you know, if you can't make it through the first 10 pages, like that's probably not for you or go talk to the other kind of uh, piece in the tree that I look to is if you can read a book on it, or if you can talk to somebody that does what is in that field, people love talking about themselves. And if you can find somebody or even cold call somebody and say, Hey, I'd love 15 minutes of your time. I'll buy you coffee to just hear about your job and what you do and whether you like it or not, nobody will say no to that. Nobody. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, A lot of people you're talking about ego a second ago. A lot of people are very scared to cold outreach or whatever. People in the industry are a very good resource. Twitter has been a great way for me to connect with people that are much, much smarter than me. And just in like the probably last two years that I've spent working on Twitter, I've probably had, maybe 30 to 40 people that I have just a cold DM'd and said, Hey, would you get on a call with me for 20 minutes? I saw this tweet that you said, I'd love to hear about that. Not one of them has said no. Wow. And I think that, that that's not just Twitter. That's, I think that that's life in general. People are more than willing to help somebody below them because they were there and somebody gave them the in at that at one point. So go talk to somebody in the industry or, um, you know, read a book on it and see if it interests you. Uh, I can speak maybe more to the investing thing, just more specifically, because that's where a lot of my interests lie. And that, 
start investing your own money. You can read a hundred books on investing and nothing will teach you quicker than losing a thousand dollars in five minutes. Like you'll, you'll learn some lessons really, really quick uh, sure. that will not be nearly as impactful as if you would have like read, read about it. Um, and that's what I, I kind of did is trial by fire. I pulled, like I said earlier, I pulled my entire Navy retirement. I mean, it wasn't that much money. It was like $12,000, which at the time was a lot, but um, I took that out and put it into my own retirement account and started reading and started making investments and like doing these certain things. And I am a 10x better investor than I was a couple of years ago when I started, but still a long ways to go. And yeah. like anything, it's, you're never, you're never arriving. You're constantly learning, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, what is your real quick, your professional opinion on like Doge, Shiba Inu? I mean, are we diamond hands heavy invested? Yes. <laughs> Quit your job today. Day trade Doge, Shiba, uh, all of them. I'm just kidding. Uh, no, I know. <laughs> um, cool. Do you have, I mean, any personal advice, anything else that, that you want to kind of get off your chest? Yeah, I think that one of the bigger critical elements that I have seen that's driven just my own success, and I that's I say that kind of half-heartedly. I'm like I said, I'm not anywhere near where I'd like to be, but one of the big things that has helped me get to the position that I'm in is maintaining a good balance of kind of a three a three-pronged stool and that's your physical, your mental, and like your spiritual health. Um, spiritual, I, I don't say religion because that's, I think that it's much bigger than that, but spiritual in the sense of asking yourself the question of why you're here and what you're working towards, a really, really good exercise. It, I'm going to tie this into money for a second, but the question of if you had a hundred million dollars or, or even the thought of never having to work for money again, what would you be working towards? And asking those types of questions will get you towards, or at least get you closer to asking the right questions about why you're doing what you're doing every day. If your job is not helping you get to that goal, you're not doing the right job. And I think that we are driven and should be acting towards things that are much larger than money. Uh, for me, giving back and empowering the veteran community is that thing. I, I think that that is a purpose that I'm, I'm working towards that's much larger than just uh, a, a job and, and financial gain. Uh, that's the, the spiritual one. Uh, mental one, be, be a constant learner. Be willing to just, like you mentioned the ego again a couple minutes ago, like be willing to be wrong a lot and realize that some of the smartest people in the world will tell you that you talking to them, you'd think that they think about themselves that they're the dumbest person in the world. And it's just because you realize that the more that you learn, the more you realize you don't know. And so be humble and find ways to continue to grow and learn more. I think that one of the best ways to do that is to read, 
can understand not everybody's a big reader, but I'm, I couldn't advocate for it more. Um, find a way to exercise your brain and, uh, and grow that muscle. And uh, on the physical aspect, I think that people perform best mentally at their job and the rest of their relationships, everything when you're physically fit and you're, you're eating right. Um, I'm all about some, some junk food and whatever, but I, I can't even speak to uh, well enough, speak to the clarity of mind that I feel when I'm, I'm like well exercised. I, that feeling is just unmatched. And, and I think it's addicting in, in a good way. So I, I think that those three things should be any, any beginner's first thought about just like trying to get their life in a better position. And those were the three, three things that I did. And I have uh, much more to show for my life uh, because of those three. Yeah. Yeah. It's, that's very clear. Uh, you definitely, as a, as a personal friend and, and, you know, anybody that, that knows you, that's, you're some, you're somebody that a lot of people look up to and, and look to for advice. And, um, so you've done a freaking killer job in, and, and you're killing it. And I'm excited to, to see where, see where you go. Uh, what is, what's the next move for you? Well, if Spotify wants to come in and offer us a hundred million dollar a year exclusive deal, like I'm ready to go full time on the podcast. Uh, no, I, I don't know. I, yeah. that's, I'm just kind of taking it day by day. I, I lot, cool. have a lot of ideas about things, but as I, my past history and other people's history has shown, I think we're very poor predictors of the future. Uh, but trying to optimize every experience on a daily basis and be open to new ideas and opportunities, I think is the the best way. Uh, I love this podcast. Going to keep working to grow this and try and influence military members and veterans in a positive way. And I think that's the most important right now anyway. Yeah. Cool, man. Well, I think that this, this episode, like I said at the beginning, it will allow the listeners to kind of kind of connect with the the voice a little bit better and, and understand yeah. who you who you are as a person and and you know why everybody that knows you freaking loves you so um dude thank you for for having me do the interview and allowing me to be on the podcast man yeah of course uh we might need to have you hosting more uh <laughs> you, you got that smooth radio voice yeah, I don't know. I got the face for radio. I don't know about the voice, but. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good, man. Thanks so much. Yeah, brother.